Let's get into it then. All right. Awesome sauce. I ask that the gods and goddesses of our respective paths bless this circle so that we may be free and protected within this space. And if you have this one word, pagan or paganism. For the pagan community. Exactly. Right. The, the big umbrella. And that was fucking fantastic. Of the podcast ever. We're three pagans. Exactly. We're three pagans. And a cat. And may the works this day of be of the highest good for all present and those listening. So mote it be. The circle is cast. Hail Dictinus. Grant us clear voices, strong sound, and good reads. War. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. War. What is it good for? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Storytelling Conflict, the 153rd episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of Vietnam protest song War, originally recorded by The Temptations, popularized by Edwin Starr, and written by Norman Whitfield and Barrett Strong. Thanks to Velocity Rose for our intro music. You can find more of their work at VelocityRose.com. You may call me Ode. So you can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meet. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. And I am a huge fan of The Temptations, and I love that song. <laughs> It's a great song. I, I read a lot about the, the history of that song today oh, because I, I was looking it up to find out who wrote it. It also lets everyone know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yes. Wars. Wars. Battles. <laughs> and how strife. frequently they are not good for shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is true. Let's start with housekeeping. We have a lot because it's the first of the month. Mm -hmm. So, Carl, would you like to do that first uh, of the month obligation you have? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Setting back now. <laughs> we have 40 kittens. We love you, kittens. Mm -hmm. We have 30 cats, and they are Abby, Amanda James, Anastasia Haley, Arcane Jill, Blue Moon, Cabra, Cheryl, Christine Phillips, Sinead Odinson, Cindy Barrick, Claire K.R. Miller, Dylan Newcomb, Elisa Durka, M. Talasavari, Hannah F., Jasmine Ray Bell, J.D., Coney Briggs, Laura Loki, Megan, Michael Adnazio, Rebecca Hillman, Rhonda Graham, Rodney Boyd, Sarah O'Dell, Shakora, Shora Kauf, Squiggy, The Dryad, and Z Viggs. We love you, cats. We do. Also, I have to say, somewhere in there, you got just a little bit of a southern twang on one of those names, <laughs> and I was trying really hard not to laugh. All right, let's continue. <laughs> Our hunters have 87, <laughs> and they are Alicia Derko, Alicia Noble, Alyssa Addy. Amy Martin, Andy Olson, Beck Blackwell, Ben Walburn, Brianna Beatboop, Kara B, Charlene Hughes, Charles Howison, Corvus Fleday, Cosmic Rose, Delilah Darge, Darren, Daughter of Oak, David Dashvi Keys, Disgruntled Honeybee, Druidic Heart, Elfwort, Alora Driver, Emily Griner, Emily Hall, Felicia Welton, Gary Bearstorm, Goddess Incognito, Haley Bourne's daughter, Heather Ellis, Heather Lewis, Hojin Co., Jax, J.C. Helmer, Jaden Hill, Jenna Hutt, Jessica Jones, JoJo, Juniper Shadowcat, Caleb King, Katie Hare, Keelan Casey, Ken Hub, Kristen Hankins, Kai Oakenshield. <laughs> oh, sorry. La Petite Poison. Logan Olofsson. Loriana Lee Knapp. Mark. 
2556, Martha Kirby Capo, Megan P, Megan Keeper, Melissa Gerbing, Melkor, Meredith Kenton, Misha Magdalene, Moon Eye, Moonstone Five Stella, <laughs> Nitsa, Olin Crow, Pablo B. Fordor, Patrick Saylor, Precious Fire, what a great name, Precious Fire, Ray Lothrop, Rhiannon M. Gray, Rochella and Dashveed, Rana, Roanoke the Wiccan Wizard, Ryan Hopkins, Sam Wise the Blonde, Sarenth Odinson, Scooby, Shabby, Sky Poifair, Sloth, Sophia Duncan, Sprouty, Stephanie Edwards, Stevie Thompson, Studio Prey, Schwan, Very Water, I have to say it that way again, Tanya Maria, The Pirate Cove, The Sugar Maple Santa, Usha Ursa, Victoria Selmus, Zakimi Kokora, Yellow Kiwi, and Zacchaeus. <laughs> oh, you know, we love you, but Justin says, Fix Manette! <laughs> <laughs> oh, what you don't understand is that for a time there, Paradise lived in the South, so we knew a lot of people who talked just like that. <laughs> Oh, not to mention my own uh, family comes saying, from Missouri, yeah, so it's in the blood oh, on the on your side. Oh, geez, yeah, I've heard that. Not quite that. <laughs> that twangy. That twangy. Oh, All right, God. so we have okay. seven tigers. They are Carol Panels, Kristen Gill, Crystal of Apothecary Keys, Nick's Falling Leaf, Raymond Stovall, better known to you all as Jim Two Snakes, Tree Wizard Creations, and Weavers of the Web. ATC. We'll just say it'll be ATC. It's way easier than Aquarian <laughs> Tabernacle Church, but that's what it is. We have 15 leopards. I love whoever that was. <laughs> tigers? tigers? Tigers, thank you. We love you, Tigers. <laughs> we have 15 leopards. They are Akaneko, Chris Colibri, Crimson Russell, Eleanor Faithful, Ellen Veals, Finn, Gabby Gabberson, Gemma Atkinson, Kimberly Squeaky Reynolds, Kitty Robinson, Chris Mickelson, Luna, Mackenzie Boyer, Nicholas, and Nolan Hayes. That was leopards? Yes. Okay, we love you leopards. <laughs> we have five panthers. They are Allie Robinson, Elizabeth Bull, Lori Phillips, Melissa Negron Schilling, and QQ Ann. We love our panthers. Thank you. <laughs> we love our panthers. I don't know. I'm still fixated on that accent. Uh -huh. I'm just sitting here. And I'm just waiting stuff. for the emails complaining that not everyone got that treatment to roll in. <laughs> <laughs> And we've offended someone, so hopefully not. <laughs> and we have three Jaguars. Jaguars. And they are Kirsten Ray, Amanda Hicks, and Justin Stanage. We thank love you our Jaguars. And thank you to all of you who uh, listen. Thank you to all of our patrons mm -hmm. from Patreon. Thank you to all of you who put up with me. Uh-huh. And uh -huh. Elle says, Car, you are a goddamn delight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. What else housekeeping do we have to do? <laughs> We're going to be speaking at, or teaching a class at... Wolf Run Wildlife Sanctuary, yes. yes. And that's, I believe, the weekend of August 13, 14, and 15? I believe so. Okay. And we're teaching on the Saturday. Yep, that's Saturday the 14th. Yeah. All right, so we will be there. And then we're going to be doing another class at Elements in August as well. Yep. In Kalamazoo, Michigan. Mm -hmm. And I think that's all the imminent speaking we're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and I guess uh, I'm, I'm declaring this housekeeping closed. <laughs>
<laughs> warehouse kept and house swept and giggled. Are, are and you giggled. all going to be able to handle the rest of this no. episode? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Oh my goodness. This episode, we're doing storytelling again, just to sort mm -hmm. of ease back into weekly episodes That's since we took our break. And we're going to start with war stories. So we've each brought some. Mm -hmm. uh, Gwen, I know you've been very excited about yours. Do you want to start? Sure, I can start. So I'm going to be telling the story of the Trojan War from the beginning mm -hmm. and the end. Mm -hmm. So and you're going to skip a bunch in the middle. I'm going to skip a whole bunch in the middle. Yeah. Pretty much all wars, or at least the Trojan War, begin with the gods. Right. Doing something. Doing something. And this one actually goes all the way back to Zeus. Because, you know, Zeus, even though he took power from his father, Kronos, and he got married, and he lusted after many goddesses many, and many women. Many. <laughs> and many, many children. And too many to name. <laughs> yes. Well, there were uh, prophecies that indicated that one of these beautiful women, who was actually a sea nymph named Thetis, or Thetis, if she had a child by Zeus, that child would rise up and be greater than Zeus. And of course, he can't have that because he's the king of the gods. Right. So in order, even though he loved Thetis, he decided to marry her off to this old king named Peleus. By the by, they did have a child named Achilles. People being married never stopped Zeus from getting that on before. I know, <laughs> but for some reason, he just, you know, he wanted to make sure that, you know, if he that he didn't have a child by Thetis, who would overthrow him? First, they had to get married. And so, of course, she being a sea nymph and Zeus putting this whole thing together, he threw them a big wedding. And all the gods and goddesses and nymphs and other beings were invited to this lavish affair, mm -hmm. except one goddess. And that would be the goddess of strife and discord, Eris. And she showed up anyway. She created this gorgeous golden apple upon which she wrote, for the fairest. Mm -hmm. But when she got there, Hermes wouldn't let her in because she wasn't invited to the shindig. Right. So she got pissed. And according to some tales, because this, you know, the Trojan War is considered one of the biggest stories of Greek mythology. So there are a lot of stories told from various right. points of view. But in the one that I'm sharing from, she got pissed and she threw that apple in there. And three goddesses found it and started fighting over it. Right. And that would be Hera, Athena, and Aphrodite. Mm -hmm. Because, of course, they were all beautiful goddesses. And they all wanted to claim the title of the fairest. Mm -hmm. Never mind the fact that they're actually at someone else's wedding. You know, It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. They, <laughs> the three of them got into a squabble about who was the fairest. And none of the other gods wanted to intervene. Because, you know, do not let, you don't get between the ladies the are demanding to know who's the fairest. Mm -hmm. All the gods say, I have no opinion. I have no opinion. You're all beautiful, ladies. Yep, yep. <laughs> so Zeus, finally getting over this, decided he was going to have a young prince who did not know he was a prince. He was being raised as a shepherd because it had been prophesied. He would be the downfall of his kingdom. So many prophecies. Right. So That's anyway. Intersecting threads here. Zeus told Hermes to take that apple to a young lad named Paris and that Paris would judge between these three goddesses who was the fairest. And now that's just trying to get that's Paris in trouble. That's just mean. 
So anyway, Paris was, you know, he was in a spring and he was taking a bath and all of a sudden he's surrounded by three gorgeous naked goddesses asking him which one of them that he thinks is mm -hmm. the fairest. And of course, each one tried to bribe him. Athena said she would offer him wisdom, skill in battle, the ability to be a great warrior if he would declare her the fairest. Mm -hmm. And of course, Hera, she offered him political power and control over all of Asia if he would give her the apple. And of course, she was the queen, so, you know, that also was a good you know reason for him to give her the mm -hmm. apple. But Aphrodite, tricksy woman that she is, she offered Paris love and she promised she promised him Helen of Sparta there was only one little problem Helen was already married she was married to King Melanaeus of Sparta mm -hmm. but that didn't matter to Paris because everybody knew that Helen was the most beautiful woman of all women on the earth and so of course he decided he wanted Helen for himself and he gave the apple to Aphrodite Young men are dumb. Yes, they're so dumb. <laughs> and so then he hied the hens to Sparta, and with Aphrodite's blessing and power of, you know, love, mm -hmm. he went and he seduced Helen and stole her away from her husband. Did he need to? Because Aphrodite had done the whammy on Done the whammy. Well, either way, whether he put a little effort into it or <laughs> if it was love at first sight because Aphrodite said, whoa, you're in love with this dude. You don't want to be married to that old king. Whatever it was, Helen said, hell yes, I'm going with this boy and went <laughs> back with him to Troy. Helen the cougar. <laughs> so she went back to Troy. Okay. Well, it didn't take long for her husband. Now, was Paris still shepherd at this point? Well, yes, he had been. He okay. was. He was. Until he took Helen back to Troy, took her into the city, and his family said, Hey, why, that's <laughs> our son Paris. We know you. We know you. <laughs> and they welcomed him back, and they, they recognized him as their prince. And so they said, Hey, you want this woman to be your, your wife? Okay, cool. We'll, we'll make sure she's protected. And, of course, Troy was a fortified city very and very powerful. But then King Melanaeus found out that his wife was gone. Yeah, you'd think it wouldn't take long. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it depends <laughs> on how many consorts he had. That's true. And true. he was there at the time. Right, yeah. True. But he found out that his beautiful bride had been whisked away to the city of Troy by this young upstart named Paris. Mm -hmm. And because this was a huge insult to the king, to the city, to the country, to, you know. And, and also he stole the, the Greeks. queen. Yeah, he stole the queen. <laughs> he sent his brother Agamemnon, who was the king of Mycenae, uh -huh. and who led an expedition of troops from Greece, and they had a different name then, but we're going to call them Greeks because that's just easier. All right. So led a troop of the Greek army, their armies combined, mm -hmm. to Troy, and started attacking the city. Right. Besieging, because, the, besieging the city. Because he wanted to get Helen back. And he wanted to right the wrong that had happened. Right the insult that had happened to his brother. And to their people and their, their kingdoms. Right. Because of this upstart Paris. And presumably also get back the stolen queen. And get back the queen. She was probably, you know, an important point in uh -huh. there. To, yeah. You know, try to get her. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Except... 
Troy was very, very well equipped mm -hmm. because this war, this, 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 this uh, siege mm -hmm. lasted 10 years. That's a long time for a siege to go on. <laughs> that is a long time. And they had... That means they got some kind of water in there. They got some water. They've got provisions. They've got soldiers. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't seem, no matter what Sparta threw against Troy, mm -hmm. they just couldn't seem to overcome them. And so this this battle and these, these this war, these battles, dragged on and on and on. And you had people like Achilles involved mm -hmm. and great warriors great warriors you know you had paris obviously you had all these great heroes we lost a lot of them mm -hmm. and i'll tell you how it all ends after you guys tell your stories oh whoa split oh, story oh there's a cliffhanger <laughs> i told you there was yeah no you told us you were going to tell the beginning and the end i didn't realize you were going to break it up yeah that's, that's tricksy <laughs> Alright, well we'll save your second story for the very end, I guess. Yep. That now you're gonna have to Or turn not. <laughs> you'll we you'll have just to just take up all the time. That's true. We just we <laughs> just talk for another forty-five minutes and then no one gets to hear the end of the story of Troy. Join our tiger Amanda and relax with the salts of wonderful body co. These soaks and scrubs inspired by popular books and characters are designed to delight multiple senses. With fragrant scents and sparkling mica, you can also find rollerball fragrances and hair oils. With dozens of options available, you'll be sure to find something you like in the Wonderful Body Co. Collection. This week, Ode is recommending Goddess Hell Bath Salts with scents of sage, vetiver, citrus, rose, and amber. Find Wonderful Body Co. online at wonderfulbodyco.com or go directly to the shop at etsy.com forward slash shop. Forge slash wonderful body co. Hail Dictinus. Hail Dictinus. And Swan says, smooth as silk car. So I'm going to be talking about the Aesir Vanir War. As much as we know about it, which is not much, it's a very mysterious war. There's some question marks about why it even started and how it went. <laughs> so again, sort of like we have a theory about the beginning and a theory about the end. And in the middle somewhere, there was a war. <laughs> So in the Voluspa, which is a part of the the poetic Edda, where Odin is talking to a Volva, a, a witch seer, he's quizzing her about a bunch of stuff, basically. And she reports that the first war, the very first war that ever happened, was an incident in which a witch called Gulveg was stabbed with spears and burned three times in the Hall of the Gods, and each time she burned down to ashes and then was reborn, and so they couldn't kill her. And that she was a witch who cast spells and did strange magics, traveled around doing magic for people. This was the cause of great strife, which is why they kept trying to kill her. And it's not clear why she describes this as the first war, because it seems more like the first murder, <laughs> or perhaps the first witch trial. But that's how she describes it, that this is the first war. So the theory is that Gulveg is one of the kennings for Freya, who is known to be one of the Vanir who practiced Sidr, which is a specific kind of witchcraft. The theory, the way this is sort of presented as is, is, is that this might have been the inciting incident for the Aesir Vanir war, that Freya was moving around Aesir territory doing witchcraft, 
And the Aesir didn't practice Siddur. They, had, they didn't have this kind of magic. And they were intimidated and upset by it, so they kept trying to kill her. When they kept failing, she went back home and said, Hey, those guys keep trying to kill me just for doing magic in their towns. And the Vanir said, Well, time for a war then. Always. <laughs> like you do. Like you do. Whether or not that was the inciting incident is up for debate because there is another possible inciting incident referred to a little later in the Poetic Edda in two stanzas that are sometimes thought to be transposed. So it's thought that like the order of events is in question. So there's a, a stanza that's about the Aesir and the Vanir went to war and the Aesir's walls were destroyed and the Vanir were very cunning on the battlefield. And then there's a stanza about all the gods got together and went to the judgment seats and debated about whether the Aesir would have to pay a tithe or whether all of the gods would be worshipped equally or, or what decision would be made about this and that they could come to no consensus. And so these stanzas are flipped around all the time and no one can agree on which order they're supposed to go in. So it's possible that the inciting incident was the Vanir and the Aesir coming into conflict over who should get the worship of humans and that that started a war. It's also possible that the war started for another reason, possibly because Freya was doing witchcraft and after the war was resolved, there was this debate about who should be getting the worship of mortals, and it became a big point of contention that prevented the war from being resolved. Unfortunately, there's no way to know which, which order these things happened in. But all these things supposedly did happen during the Aesir Vanir War in some order, of course. <laughs> and at the conclusion of it, there are many, many years of fighting, and with neither the Aesir nor the Vanir able to successfully overrun the other. They were pretty well matched on the battlefield. They had very different tactics, with the Aesir being very martial and being very sort of on the plains fighting. The Vanir having strange magics and being more cunning and sort of using the environment to their advantage. And eventually the gods all decided, the Aesir and the Vanir, they all decided this was getting really tedious. Like, they, they weren't having great success killing each other. They decided that they were going to make peace. They all got together and maybe debated about who should be paying tribute to whom. Um, and in the end, they uh, established a compact and agreed to exchange hostages. Freya, who possibly started the whole thing, her brother Freyr and their father Njord all became hostages to the Aesir. And uh, Hainir and Mimir, who were two uh, Aesir gods, were hostages to the Vanir. And to solidify the, the pact, what they all did was all the assembled gods spit into a pot. Like you do. Like you do when you're formalizing a contract. <laughs> Rather than shaking hands, just everyone spits into a pot and we call it a day. But because it was such a momentous occasion, the gods all agreed, well, we shouldn't just pour this spit out. It's, uh, it's important spit. Oh, it's spit that means something. Meaningful spit. Oh, boy. So what they did was... Germs, Swan says. They mean germs. They mean germs. It's, it's important spit. So what they did was they reshaped the spit in the cauldron to into the form of the god Kvasir. Poor uh, Kvasir. Yeah, poor Kvasir. <laughs> who was... Formed from spit. Formed from spit. Represented the, the peace between the Aesir and the Vanir. Uh, the joining of their peoples. Later he would go on to be murdered so they could turn his blood into the meat of poetry. So Kvasir has a real rough time. Oh my god. Things don't go great for the uh, the Aesir hostages either. The Vanir hostages, uh, <laughs> the ones who live with the Aesir, so Freya, Freyr, and Njord, do pretty well. Uh, they're, they're pretty well accepted by the Aesir. 
the uh, the hostages who go to the Vanir, Hanir and uh, Mimir. Hanir's not real smart, but he's real pretty. Oh. So the Vanir think he should be smart. Because he's pretty. Because he's pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, so they keep asking him questions, and he just his answer to everything is basically like, um, whatever you think is best. That's, whatever um, you think is best is the answer, I think. I assume? Hopefully. <laughs> It's actually not a bad position to take. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's right. Like if you're if you're yeah. not if you don't know the answer and you're trying to not piss off your the, the, your hostage keepers, mm-hmm. but you know it's an understandable position. But it wasn't what they wanted to hear. They wanted him to be smart and brave and, and pretty, but he was really just pretty. <laughs> so, just look at him and shut up. Uh huh. The Vanir decided they'd been given a a shitty prisoner. Oh, just because he's pretty and yeah, not smart. Yeah, pretty and not smart. And they were mad that they'd been given uh, a prisoner who didn't meet their their high standards for hostages. <laughs> so, in revenge, they did a really dumb thing, which was chop off the head of the other hostage, Mimir, who is actually the wise one. Oh, I figures. The one who could have answered the questions if they had been asking him, but he wasn't pretty, so they didn't ask him. So only pretty people are only smart? Only pretty people are smart, according to the Vanir. But they were wrong, <laughs> and they executed the smart one and sent his head back to the Aesir saying, Hey, you sent us shitty fucking hostages. Have this one back. Rude. And then... Uh, and then they made Spitman into... Uh... Into, into, uh, into a man, uh, and later would kill him, and uh, Odin would uh, preserve Mimir's head so that he could continue speaking wisdom to him. He's just a wise head? He's just a wise head, sometimes in a well. Wow, sucks to be immortal. Yeah. There are some downsides (laughs) for sure. But that's the that's the conclusion of the Aesir Vanir War. Is one man gets made out of spit and another man gets his head chopped off and thrown in a well. (laughs) So that he can sometimes impart wisdom. Uh Uh-huh. But only to one person. But only to Odin, yeah. Only only to Odin. Oh mercy. And only when he's only when he's only when he's feeling it. Yeah, he's feeling like he needs a little extra wisdom. Oh my gosh, I'm going to go speak to this dude's head. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. And then the trick is getting Mimir to talk to you because you preserved his head and put it in well. I'd be pissed. Mm-hmm. Join our Tiger Crystal at Apothecary Teas. This shop produces fragrant, aesthetically beautiful teas that are delighted to all senses. With handcrafted tea blends from white to red to green, this week Ode is recommending Raspberry Green. Made with Seneca green tea, hibiscus, and raspberry pieces. Find them at apothecaryteastore.com or on Facebook at Apothecary Teas, LLC. Ale Dictinus. Ale Dictinus. Now tell your story. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was reading the Discord. Yeah. There's, there's, there's some amusing comments. There are there. some really amusing uh, comments. For example, L is describing Heinier as a himbo, which, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Accurate. So. I, I really do think it's hilarious that he. <laughs> They thought he, since he was pretty, right, he was pretty. He had and to so be they, smart. So when they got him, they were like, "Perfect, we'll make this man a chieftain of something." But then he was not smart enough to be a chieftain of something. He was, and they pretty. were very upset about it. Oh my! This story is called "The Spoils of the Alwyn," which narrates a raid on Alwyn, the Otherworld, by Arthur. Ooh, the king. Yes. Oh. The king. Whose target was a magical cauldron, described as made from shimmering bronze and studded with gems. This cauldron knew its own mind. So it was a smart cauldron? It needed the breath of nine virgins to heat the broth within it, and it would never provide food for a coward. Arthur's cauldron rustling expedition ended in a tririthic victory. Here. That too. 
He gained the vessel, but lost most of his men to the forces of darkness in doing so. Arthur's cauldron is only one of the many that had magical properties, for the Celts' cauldrons were vessels of rebirth. The myth of Bran the Blessed, Lord of Harlech, a Welsh hero so large that he could wade across the Irish Sea, and whose severed head remained alive and talked after his death, ah, head bros. contains an account of Bran's most treasured possession, a cauldron that could bring the dead back to life. But again, this was a vessel that had its own agenda. Hmm. What is with these sentient vessels? Sentient cauldrons. When Magaloth, king of Ireland, was insulted by one of Bran's relatives, when he came to woo his sister Bronwyn, he could be appeased only by the gift of the cauldron. Later on, when war broke out between Ireland and Wales, Magaloth used Bran's gift as a weapon. Every night, the Irish war dead were cooked in the cauldron yes. and emerged good as new to fight another day. I remember hearing about that one. Yikes. I remember that, yeah. But these rescued soldiers were, in fact, undead zombies. Oh, this is bad. Where they had lost the power of speech. Ireland had its own cauldron myths, gods such as the Dagda, mm -hmm. other world hostels in which they serve food and ever-replenishing cauldrons. Zombie soup, says Rabbit. Mm -hmm. Zombie soup. So those are my cauldron stories, which I believe led somebody to put a cauldron in a book. Stephen Longhead? It had fire in it. Oh, the yeah. Harry Potter. I yes. got you. Oh, yes. I got you. Well, she had to have uh, sources yep. mm -hmm. exactly. and inspiration. But yep. Stephen Lawhead also used, I think, well, because he did. Uh, he was doing Stephen, Irish, yeah. Stephen Lawhead wrote books that were particularly on Irish myths. Specifically yes. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. So yeah. He, he actually <laughs> used the zombie thing. Yes. Yeah. In one of his, in, I think, the Paradise War. Yeah. Which is really good. Black Cauldron, says Rona. That was a cartoon, I think. Yes, it was. Uh, you're Disney. Yeah. Disney cartoon. A very sinister one. Mm-hmm. Kind of spooky. Mm -hmm. It's true. All right, I'm done. No more sentient yeah. cauldrons? Who raised the dead? Making zombie soup? Making zombie soup? I think mean, I kind of like the zombie cauldron. I think that's kind of cool and scary at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact that they describe it as cooking the dead, I think, yeah. is what gets me. <laughs> Okay, so you want to go back to ancient Greece and find out more yes. about the Trojan War? Tell us more about the Trojan War. <laughs> okay. Tell us tell us how the story ends. Okay, so this conflict goes on for a decade. Mm -hmm. This siege. The Greeks are attacking Troy, and it just goes on and on and on. They have little skirmishes here and little battles there, and they lose great heroes such as Achilles, who is the child of... Thetis and right. the right, right, the who tried to protect him by dipping him as an infant in the river Styx to make him immortal, but she had to hold him by his heel. At one point during the uh, you know during the battle that he was fighting, of course by the you know by the time he got to all this, he was a brave mm -hmm. warrior, but he got pierced with an arrow in his heel where she had held him into the river Styx and he died. So as El says, double dip that baby, right? And so. Um, you know, so we lost Achilles and we lost Ajax because he lost his ever loving mind. He got pissed off because he lost Achilles' armor to Odysseus and he got so angry, killing his own people, his own yeah. soldiers. Went into a rage. Went into a rage until Athena came along and drove him, you know, made him see cows as if they were his soldiers and he right. killed the cows and then he felt so bad, he killed himself. <laughs> so and then you know on like you do and then on the trojan side hector who who was uh, a great hero of troy but paris the nimrod 
who, you know, started this whole mess and ended up fulfilling the prophecy that, you know, he was going to be the, down, to his kingdom, yeah. in the downfall of Troy. He dies in battle as well. So Helen is stuck over here in Troy without even the dude. The stupid boy she followed here. The yeah. stupid boy. Yep. Mm -hmm. So eventually the Greeks got really sick of this whole thing. After 10 years. Right. They want to go home. They want to go home. They're sick of this whole mess. They probably just, they probably don't even care about Helen anymore. They just like, they just want to win and then go. Mm -hmm. You know, she can stay if she wants. <laughs> and uh, so finally Odysseus says, I got the plan. The plan. Which is something Odysseus says a lot. Yeah, he's, he's a man with a plan. So Odysseus says to his fellow soldiers, we are going to pick out the best, best of the best warriors that we have and create a strike team, a strike force. And I'm going to lead you because I'm Odysseus and I'm the best. But in the meantime, while we're doing that, the rest of you all are going to spend the next three days building this ginormous, hollow horse. Because you see, the horse was the symbol of Troy. Mm -hmm. So they came up with this elaborate plan to create this gigantic, huge, enormous horse. And it took them about three days. Which is a pretty good turnaround, honestly. Yep, yep. They were motivated. They mm -hmm. wanted to go home. <laughs> and they got one volunteer who would stand in front of the horse but in the meantime, the strike force, the strike team would hide in the hollow horse and all the rest would appear to be getting on their ships and sailing home. They were done. They were over. They were just over it after 10 years. We quit. We quit after losing our heroes. But the one soldier who volunteered to stay behind was actually a plant. He was going to stand in front of the horse and yell up. To, to the soldiers to the of walls. Troy, to the walls, and say, hey, they left, they abandoned me, but look here, they gave you this, this horse, mm -hmm. because that is your symbol, and we want to have you offer it, you know, we want to make an offering to, to Athena, mm -hmm. to just get over this whole thing, so this is a gift to you, and so the Trojans are looking at horse and going, you know, that's a nice horse. That seems legit. That seems legit, you know. I don't see any other, anybody, there's just him out there yelling about, you know, gifts. And so says, look at this army-sized horse. Nothing to see here. Carry on. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, it's, it's a gift. They, they've given up. We, we've won by default because we're so awesome. So, we stayed in our city and the walls kept him out. That's right. Fuck them. So they open the gates. They grab some ropes. They pull the Trojan horse in. We don't know what happens to the to the poor soldier, messenger. who is the messenger. But they pull the Trojan horse into into the city, and they're yay, we won, huzzah! And they close the gates, and they all go to bed. In the meantime, mm -hmm. Cassandra, who is a seer, uh -huh. is going, y'all, listen. This is a bad horse. This is a bad horse. This is bad things are going to happen if you bring this horse into this city. But no one listened to her. Because nope. Cassandra's cursed. Cassandra's cursed. So everybody ignored her. Oh, no, it was a gift. They gave up. Look, they're not there. They went home. We saw their ships leave. Now, I believe Cassandra is specifically cursed that no one will believe her prophecy. Yes, I believe that is true. So if she had said nothing, would people have been more suspicious of this horse? No, because Helen herself, in one story, comes out and she's like, nah, mm-mm. 
this is a trick. I don't believe this. This is just no. This, this is exactly the kind of trick I would this expect. Is exactly from the kind of trick. In fact, I think I hear some breathing going on in there. And so she like started making like, hey boys. Mm-hmm. You know, like making trying noises, to lure him out. Trying to lure him out, pretending maybe that she had their wives there. I mean, just coming up with nobody believed her that this was a ploy. Mm-hmm. Nobody believed her. And she's like, fine, whatever. Take your horse. So Helen's over it too. Helen's over it too. <laughs> She tried to warn, she's like, I'm trying to warn you, this is a trick. Cassandra says it too, but y'all don't listen to the women. Nope. And so everybody goes to bed. Who knows where the night watch is? Who knows where they keep this fucking horse? Apparently just kind of in the middle of the city. Because finally, once it gets dark and everything goes quiet and everybody goes to sleep, Odysseus says, hey guys, let's rock. And they open the horse because it's got a secret, secret door. in the horse. <laughs> and they sneak out. And they start spreading out. He's like, okay, you dude, you go there and you go there and you two go open the gate. Mm -hmm. And then they signal to the ships that are waiting, Mm -hmm. send up a signal, some kind of, who knows what it is, a fire, flare, who knows what they do. They send a signal to the ships and they come back. And while the other ships, while the ship is coming back with the rest of the troops, they go in and they start killing people. Mm -hmm. They start killing soldiers and women and children. I mean, you know, they're just... They're a strike force, right? So they're doing their thing, and then the rest of the troops come in and they do their thing, and Troy is left decimated, sacked, sacked, in ruin, and it is over. Now nobody's quite sure what happened to Helen. Some say she went back to her husband. Uh-huh. Some say she was taken to Olympus and became a goddess, and in fact she was worshipped by uh, some in some areas. Uh-huh around Greece, but it's kind of up in the air what happened to Helen. <laughs> By that point, no one was Nobody really cared. I, I tend to believe probably someone said, okay, bitch, let's go. We're done. <laughs> and okay, she was, back to Sparta. And by this time, she was probably like, oh, please, yes, get me, just take me home. I'm over this. Yeah, that was how it ended. The Trojans were so over it that they missed an obvious trick. I mean, come on, come on. A huge, huge, huge horse. I'll suggest a, a possible backfire to this plan, which did also occur to me, which was, since we won this war, let us burn this wooden horse an offering to Athena. Right? It was, they were saying they wanted to do an offering to Athena, the, the dude. Doesn't seem risky. You know, yeah. why? It's a good did, thing they decided to do it tomorrow. Right. Odysseus's plan worked. They Because he's Odysseus. Because he's Odysseus. He was the superhero of heroes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, the Trojans lost that war. Yep. They held out for 10 years, and they got and then, fooled. Yeah, opened their damn gates. They opened their <laughs> damn gates because of a pretty big horse. <laughs> uh, no, actually, I really feel sorry for Helen in this, because in some stories, it is she's kidnapped. Right. You know, in some stories, uh, she is she falls in love with Paris, but that would be because of Aphrodite. Yeah, this is my thing. This is my thing. Even if she, like quote-unquote consents. She's been whammied by Aphrodite. Exactly. And some of these heroes who come, like, for instance, uh, Ajax, mm-hmm. he was one of her suitors before she married uh-huh. King Mel- uh, Menelaus. Menelaus. Yeah. So a lot of her suitors are actually coming to fight the Trojans. That's a whole mess. Because of Paris, mm-hmm. who was raised to be a shepherd. 
So my only question is, why did they name condoms after Trojan when it's obviously that the horse had a break in it? This right? is the question. It's a bad decision. This right. is a bad decision. It is a it is a tricksy gift. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. You have one more, right? I do, but it's optional. <laughs> All right, I'm getting story story. Uh, I have one more story to tell. It is a tale from ancient China, long before the Warring States period. There was the very first uh, and the very second battles uh, that are recorded in ancient Chinese history. So uh, the first battle that was ever written down was the Battle of Bangkwang. So at the time, China was populated by a whole bunch of tribes, a whole bunch of individual disparate tribes. And some of them had started sort of banding together for mutual purposes. One of those uh, was being led by the Flame Emperor, one was being led by the Yellow Emperor, and one was being led by Chi Yu. The Flame Emperor decided to get into a fight with Chi Yu. Like you do. Like, like you do. Uh, and he failed catastrophically. Like you do. Like you do. <laughs> and uh, this battle went very badly for him. Mm. He was pushed back into the Yellow Emperor's territory. That uh, sounds like a bad thing. Yeah. The Yellow Emperor was displeased. He was very offended by this, but uh, the Flame Emperor basically begged and was like, no, no, it's not my fault. I'm not invading. I'm escaping. I'm running away from this other worse person who will surely be chasing me here to fight you any day now. So we should uh, hang out maybe like, and, like and be BFFs and you can protect me from him if you would like. <laughs> Please. Please. The Yellow Emperor was like, well, I'm still not really happy that you're here. But that does sound like a better fight than you would provide. So, sure, I will go and, and fight Chi Yu. So the Battle of Bangkwan was the catastrophic failure where the Flame Emperor ran straight into the Yellow Emperor <laughs> while running from Chi Yu and said, uh, sorry, Oops. mistakes were made. Uh, and then the Yellow Emperor said, okay, fine, I'll do your fight for you since you're so bad at it. <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> uh, this was followed by the Battle of Julie, which was much more dramatic because the Yellow Emperor gathered up the, the remains of the Flame Emperor's tribes, gathered them in with his cohort, with his tribes, and he took them all out to where Chi Yu had been coming from, chasing the Flame Emperor, and they met uh, at Julie. So the, the Yellow Emperor had all these animal spirits that, that he had tamed and that worked with him. So he brought the black bear and the brown bear and the leopard and the tiger and a mythical Chinese winged lion Ooh. called the Pijou. And so he brought all these beasts with him to, to help defend his people. And he massed this, this great army, which was two, two emperors worth of armies. He was like, all right, I'm going to crush this Chi Yu fellow. And then the flame emperor will get out of my space. But Chi Yu was a, a strange man who, who had magical powers. Like a magician? A, a magician or a god. In some, in some places, he's, he was actually worshipped as a god because he had a head of bronze. And he knew many gods and could call on them to do things for him. So he called on the, a god of rain and a god of wind. And their forces together created a magical fog that blanketed the entire battlefield. So the Yellow Emperor's forces couldn't see where they were going. They couldn't find the enemy, much less fight the enemy. And Chi Yu's forces uh, were sneaking through the fog and picking them off one at a time. Makes sense. Um, and the magical animals couldn't see where they were going either. And so everything was in disarray. Mm -hmm. 
But the Yellow Emperor was very clever. So he was a great inventor. He, he took this opportunity to create something that would let him navigate through this magical fog. Oh, far in. Mm -hmm. He created what's called the compass chariot, or the south-going chariot, which could only go in one direction. It was a mechanical thing of clockwork and pistons in ancient China. Which <laughs> yes. makes sense, actually. That makes uh -huh. sense. They were, in a, they were very advanced on, on the technology front there. So he, he created the, the compass chariot, Elsa so a train, and maybe set his course to where he knew Chi Yu was supposed to be, and he had a, all his men follow the chariot, and he just went through the fog in the right direction towards Jiu. And so he finally found the army he was trying to destroy. The fog was still there, and this was very inconvenient, because now that they had found them, they could do some fighting in this fog, but it was really hampering the war effort. So he decided, all right, the compass chariot was a good idea, and it got me where I needed to be. But it's time to get rid of the fog. And then I can't do that with machines. What I can do is call my daughter. My daughter, who is a drought demon. Oh. Because the Yellow Emperor was himself a god Aha. Uh, who had descended to the earth. And so he, he had a daughter in the heavens named Ba. And the problem was water-based because uh, there was a rain god and a wind god working right. together to create this fog. Mm -hmm. So uh, he summoned his daughter Ba down from the heavens to suck up all the, the moisture and pull it out of the air and, and defeat the fog. Mm -hmm. uh, so she did. She came down and wherever she stepped, the fog evaporated mm -hmm. um, and drought you know, touched, her touched the land, which created a very effective battlefield to fight on. The ground became very parched and hard, so they didn't have to slog through the mud anymore and everything. So the Yellow Emperor proceeded to crush Chiyu's forces in a series of humiliating defeats. Like you do. Like you do. Chiba asked a good question. Mm -hmm. Why not do that first? Why not do that first? I think because he just wanted the opportunity to invent something. He was known to be very keen to make new things. And there you go. Yeah, he, he was just a scientist at heart and just was like, hey, I have an opportunity. Yeah. I have a good excuse. Compass cherry. <laughs> yeah. So he just invented something for the hell of it. And then when that didn't solve every problem, he said, well, I do have a magical solution, I guess. If I must. Maybe he thought it was kind of a cheat. Yeah, probably. It's, you know, it is cheating to call your daughter in and have her, you know, fix the battlefield for you. But she did. But cheat codes are important. Cheat codes are important. It's how you, you sometimes that's how you win. And to be fair, the other dude had two other gods coming in to make exactly. fun. Exactly. There, so. there were plenty of gods on the field. The Yellow Emperor was playing with a handicap and he just removed it, I guess, at the yeah. end. Like I said, the, the Yellow Emperor's army crushed Chiyu's army. Chiyu was eventually captured killed by a dragon that the Yellow Emperor happened to know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> useful. Uh -huh. Nice to have friends. And the Yellow Emperor went back to the Flame Emperor and said, I've defeated him and I've considered the situation. And what I've decided is that I'm not actually going to make you leave my territory because now it's all my territory. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to be in charge now since you've proven you're not capable of it and I'll take your people into my dominion, and they will be our people, but mostly my people, because I'm in charge. And the Flame Emperor said, I can't argue with that, because you've already taken all of my people, so okay. <laughs> and this was the foundation of ancient China. I love it. I love it. Well, I, what I think is interesting, because like you were saying, you know, the, the, the Chinese people, the Japanese people, you know, the Asian continent, these were very advanced people, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's interesting that in the Greek mythology, one of Hera's ploys was to give all of Asia 
Paris. Yeah, I don't think that would have worked. I don't think that would have worked. I don't, I don't think they would have appreciated that. Mm -hmm. I think Paris would have got his ass kicked. Yes, it would have. In that case, I think that is the end of the episode. I think that is the end of the episode. I hope you guys enjoyed our stories. To find out about the origin mm -hmm. of China through their mythology or the Trojan War, which was considered by ancient Greeks to be one of the most important battles mm -hmm. of their history. Because it was pretty much all of Greece against Trump. Yep. <laughs> all right, so that's it for this episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Mm -hmm. You can find us by Googling us. You can either Google the number three pagans and a cat, or you can Google the number three and then the letters P-A-A-C, mm -hmm. or you can Google car of three pagans and a cat, or Gwyn of three pagans and a cat, or Ode of three pagans and a cat, or you could Google, I don't know, Google. And we won't show up, but you'll at least find you, you'll find, find other, other shit you'd be interested in. You can also find us on social media. This episode mm -hmm. is not sponsored by Google. <laughs> <laughs> nope. No. Or, a, or, or yeah, it's sponsored by our patrons. Yeah. 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 It's sponsored by our patrons who we appreciate. Yeah. Yep. And we thank you for sponsoring us. And then, yeah, we're on various social medias, yeah. and we got that website at the number three, pagansandacat.com. Yep. And eventually I'll get back to writing on Faithio's Pagan once mm -hmm. life kind of gets back in order, which I'm hoping to start doing this week. Yay. <laughs> so that's, that's the goal. Just look for us. We're there. Yeah. And if you're ever in Kalamazoo, come by Valhalla, mm -hmm. um, because I am now hosting Pub Nerd Trivia every Friday night. And then we have Open Mic Night every Sunday night. Mm -hmm. And, and Valhalla is the place where the gods go to drink. It mm -hmm. is indeed the place where the gods go to drink and time stands still. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's it. Bye. That's it? Yeah. I mean, Finn already you gotta said. You got to click the button. He, oh. Finn already said push the damn button like, before we even got through like Google. You know what? Fuck you, Finn. I'm going to wait and not push the button because you said to push it. Push the button. No, I'm not going to do it. I refuse. I'm push the then button. you push the button. Push if Finn told button. me to do it, I won't do it because it's push fucking Finn. No, nope, not doing it. Oh, no. Move. No. 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 Stop. Push the button. No. You can't. <laughs> 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 Oh, using the wall to make the mouse move. You know, there's space right here. He's putting his fucking hand there. There's a candle. It'll burn itself. I'm okay. A little burned. Fuck Finn is fine. Give me this thing.